to our listeners, on this episode of the podcast, we mentioned the concept of suicide in the context of prevention and raising awareness. If you're listening with young ears, or if you're just not in a place to hear that today, skip this episode and come back. I've never met Casey Must, founder of Citizen Yoga in real life. We met during the pandemic and have Zoomed through our relationship. We talked in February of 2021 when she had been teaching yoga online for almost a year. We talked in April when I was on her podcast and both of us were sitting in makeshift offices, me in my parents' basement and Casey's somewhere warm. We talked shortly after she gave birth to her daughter Penelope this spring and again just recently to record this week's episode of We Got Goals. This is Gina Anderson Cohen, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life, and I told you all that to tell you this. Casey Must is the kind of person who shares openly about the good, the bad, and how she sees the world. And it's that kind of open sharing that led me to feeling like I understand who Casey is as a person, even though the two of us have only talked on Zoom a total of four times. Like, I don't know how tall she is, but I would consider her a friend, if you know what I'm saying. That's because one of the ways to fast track human connection is to share something you've been through and to listen intently to the things being shared by the person you're speaking to. For Casey, every time she speaks about her business and why it came to be, she has to open up about one of the worst things that happened to her and her family. And often that leads to an I've been through that too kind of moment. Because her sister Maya's suicide was the impetus to creating Citizen Yoga. And today she exists to create community and connection for people to prevent anyone else from living that. That's because loneliness has been found to be linked to an increased risk of suicide and self-harm. You can find studies that support that in the show notes. And conversely, researchers from Brown and George Mason University found that social support is associated with a decreased likelihood of suicide. Casey and her team live that mission. Most businesses start with what they do, but Citizen starts with why. And that kind of commitment has led to serious community support. Each year they pack the University of Michigan's big house or what the college football stadium is known as with a thousand people who are there to talk about and give money to suicide prevention. And Casey is currently working on solving another crisis of community she saw in her own life. She felt a disconnect and loneliness as she went through postpartum recovery. So today she envisions a place where birthing parents can heal, connect, and learn from each other. Honestly, the way she describes her project that she's creating with two co-founders makes me, someone who is very much writing the fence about parenthood, a little less hesitant. And that's the kind of effect Casey wants to have on the world. She exists to make hard things less so and bring into the light the moments of our lives that were often relegated to the shadows. Here I am with Casey Must. This is Gina Anderson Cohen, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life. I'm here with Casey Must, who founded Citizen Yoga, which is it's called worldwide, right? I mean, we we feel we're worldwide. How about that? <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for for joining me. Um, usually, when we have someone on the podcast, we start with sort of like, "What is it?" <laughs> What is the thing you're doing? But I think for you and for Citizen Yoga, I'd love to hear the why first. Can you tell us the why behind your yoga studio? Yes. Um, I love that because whenever I mentor other studio owners or business owners, the first thing I tell them they need to figure out is their why. Uh, Because it's the life raft that carries you through all of your hardship. And I can give you many examples of that experience. Uh, The starting point of my why was really uh, my sister's suicide. Uh, My sister passed away in 2007 um, from suicide, but she also suffered from a variety of bouts with mental illness. And again, she not, that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden I opened a yoga studio because that's not how life works. Usually, uh, the journey to something profound is much more messy. It was very complicated. If you met me in 2013 or 12, you would have 
you would now think I was a much different person. You can ask my husband, he would tell you that. Um, but all the steps to citizen weren't just, okay, suicide happened, citizen happened. But it was a, a building up of understanding that there was a lack in the yoga community and in our communities of real authentic connection. And that causes a lot of anxiety and depression for a lot of people. So to me, opening citizen was a way to help people with their mental health, not just get a good sweat though. A good sweat is fun and good. The good sweat is fun and good. Okay, so the why is incredibly important. Obviously, it, it took a lot of time to get you from, and I'm, I'm so sorry that you and your family went through that, um, but it took some time to get you from that moment, that happening, to creating Citizen and, and openly talking about suicide um, and suicide prevention the way you do, right? Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, I was very open about it, but it was much more emotional. I, um, I would say that mental health was not talked about in the same way. And, and in the, in, I will also just add that it just didn't seem that important. So it wasn't that people were afraid to talk about mental health, which they are. Um, it was also that it didn't seem as important and the pandemic really has pulled back any place you could hide your mental instability, uh, your own personal questioning of yourself and said, okay, here's a raw version of me. And I don't know if I have the tools to sustain this level of stress. So to me, that's one of the reasons that mental health has um, come into mainstream conversation, which is so important, but all of that has always been there. I just don't know if we knew of its importance at that time. Mm -hmm. And that practically speaking, um, citizen is also a, a physical place and a physical practice. So where did you open your first studio? Um, and how did you go from one to more than one? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I will, we started in Royal Oak, Michigan. Uh, and then I opened about a year and a half later in Detroit and then about a year and a half later in Bloomfield and about two years later in Cleveland. Um, right now I only have my Michigan studios and we can talk about all that other stuff later. Um, I never intended to expand. Mm. I had never run a business. I almost think <laughs> I was stupidly in the best way, blind to the failure that, that is small business. And I just knew that I could work really hard and have a mission. Mm -hmm. And if I had a mission, that mission could carry me through all the ups and downs that I could potentially face. So citizen became successful, not because it was just another yoga studio is because we really stood me and a few other people for something bigger than just becoming a famous yoga teacher. No offense, no thanks. <laughs> um, and to be the best, we weren't there to like prove something to other people other than we knew that an intelligent, safe alignment based yoga practice in Detroit was necessary. And having a teaching team that really liked each other, that worked together as a cohesive unit, that shared their playlists, that shared their knowledge, that wasn't trying to have one student be their student and another student be the other person's student was really important because how you live your values outside of the yoga studio it needs to be the same way that you talk about them during your class. And I did not as a child see a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, honestly, what you're talking about now, it sounds like creating true and authentic community where it's, it's sort of like thinking of the, we, um, the collective instead of the me, right? Yep. Yes. And I will say that, um, I personally feel that it is, I've walked that path. 
So I went through a really bad depression um, many times in my life, actually. Uh, in college, I played lacrosse at Northwestern, uh, which was very complicated. I, I quit after my first year. It was really challenging. Um, and during college, I lost a friend. And, and grappling with death and grief during a time in quotes of your life that it's supposed to be so much fun in the best years of your life. And there was all this pressure, um, was not easy. Then my sister passed away, uh, two years later or three years, maybe it was three years later. And my family fell apart. I decided to move to India. I studied philosophy in India for just under three years. I got sick there. Not, that's not really that important, but that is why I moved home. And when I got home, the world, I was an alien. I mean, I was definitely an alien. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty much a weird person all the time, anyway. but I was an alien. You know, I like came back from my ashram, like a total alien and didn't fit in, didn't understand how disconnected the world had become over three years through technology advancement. Um, and just the way that people had changed and shifted and so I, I would say right before I opened Citizen Yoga is probably the darkest year and a half of my life. Um, yeah. And then I thought of Citizen Yoga on April 6th, just by circumstance. And, <laughs> excuse me, life really changed. So all of a sudden I had some, someone else to think about other than myself. So when we talk about why it's so important, why I always say start with why, is because I've walked the path of my own depression and the antidote for my depression was to stop thinking about me so much. And the only way to stop thinking about me is to channel my energy toward a more community centric goal. So if I open citizen for me and my fame and my name and my money, then I would just be as miserable as I was before opening citizen. So it's not owning a yoga studio or teaching yoga because that doesn't make you better. Um, it's again, that why of expanding your view. Yeah. And, and I think I remember you and I met, I think, did we meet during the pandemic or before the pandemic, yeah. Casey? Right, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I don't remember how we were connected, but it, it was like, we were instant and immediate friends. Um, but one of the things that I found really interesting about you um, was your focus on leadership philosophy um, and just philosophy in general. You were actually one of the first leaders and new friends to come into my life who sent me a book. Now I do that all the time when I love a book and I meet someone that um, that reminds me of that book. I send them that book. You sent me Servant Leader, right? By the, mm-hmm. um, the yeah, founder. By yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I have it. Um, I wish I had brought it with me to this podcast so I could have shared it. Um, it's okay. I can quote it for you. Amazing. You can quote it by heart. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, sort of your leadership philosophy, um, and sort of what you wanted to shift in yoga when you opened citizen. Well, this is the reason I love. Okay. So if you haven't been to Zingerman's, you should go to Zingerman's <laughs> because what Ari did, Ari isn't the only founder, but I love Ari. Uh, what they did is they took something mundane and they made it what I would consider spiritual. You know, spirituality is nothing but being less selfish. So they took business, which is a pretty mundane thing. They took deli, okay, (laughs) deli, uh, bagel and cream cheese, and they made it a spiritual experience. And I don't just mean by the taste of the bagel and cream cheese or the pastrami sandwich. They created something special through their culture and through their value system, Yoga philosophy, Vedanta, which is a philosophy, the philosophy that I studied, but not the only philosophy that I studied, I'll be clear, that um, the values of that philosophy seemingly is different than running your business, but it's not. So when I started reading Zingerman's uh, philosophy and all their corporate sort of leadership books, it put words to what I already knew was the right way to run a business, but I hadn't really seen anybody do it, especially in the yoga industry. Now that sounds crazy, 
Um, but it wouldn't be crazy if you understood that I started yoga when I was 10, which is 28 years ago. And I watched the yoga scene blow up many times, you know, do all the, you know, all the craziness that it, it does in its, its natural sort of state. So the philosophy of Zingerman's that is also a philosophy in Vedanta, which is called servant leadership, which is everything that you do is to be of service. So the higher you get in an organization, the more of service you are. So that's a really different perspective than the higher you get, the more people get you coffee. (laughs) And it really puts forward a value-driven action versus an incentivized-driven action. I was just telling my team this this week. Like, yes, we can give people pay raises, but pay raises will not make people be better employees. So it's either a values problem, right? Of course, you need higher pay, but by no means am I saying that. Yes, people deserve higher pay, and that should be objective based on your organization. But it's either a values problem or a coachable problem. And there's one that isn't fixable, and that's a values problem. And a lot of times people try to mend value problems with more money. Oh, this employee's acting out. I'm going to give them more. But they don't assess, is it a value or is it actually something that they could coach and work on? So Zingerman talks about servant leadership and it's it's very, very profound to think of yourself in service of others versus your own personal motive. Give I mean, I have second. more, but you I, can... My yeah. husband's trying to get the dog out of the... <laughs> That's fine. Right. Oh my God. I feel like your dog is always in our podcast. No, this is tradition. I hope you don't edit this out. I need you to keep your dog in our podcast. Please. I swear the last time we were on a podcast, your dog was in our podcast. Yeah. He, he makes himself really a part of life, a part of business. There were moments I think during the pandemic where he would make noise just to be, you know, like heard Yes. Um, I don't want to say to be an like asshole because he doesn't have that. No. In him, but he doesn't have it. Dogs don't have motives. <laughs> no, they, exactly. They just have needs. Um, <laughs> right. Which, which might honestly. So what? Back to leadership. Now, I, I think what's really interesting about. Well, there are a lot of interesting things about you, Casey. But one of the things that I I really love, like talking to you, the first time we chatted you reference like mentoring other leaders, because I think this is something that because you kind of had that period of your life when you were an alien and you came back and observed and were like, wait, this, this, and this feel wrong to me. Now you're helping people fix those things. Is that kind of how you ended up mentoring other, other leaders? I think, well, mentorship's interesting. I think mentorship has two parts that that's important to think about. One part is, the confidence to give away your knowledge and trust that you're authentically doing your role in this world because you're you. And no matter how much of your knowledge you give away, nobody can do it as well as you do it. And that's really important if you're a leader. Like how many times I have talked to teachers without being paid or anything uh, just to help them build their following, their teaching, their own confidence, whatever that is. And then mentorship, if you understand, I think for studio owners, it really started during the pandemic. I mean, the compassion and empathy that I have for the people who held the space that I had to hold, I have so much to do to run our business during the pandemic was just hard and somewhat terrorizing (laughs) truthfully. (laughs) And I, I, I had built my company to a point that was really comfortable. And I thankfully then used that comfort, that pillow to survive the pandemic. Now I think of my friends who I mentor, maybe they didn't, they just opened their studio or they got off the ground a year ago. They didn't have that same pillow. So all I could do is be there to support them and talk them through it and give them tips. So I think it's really important if you're 
in your industry or any industry, because it relates cross industry to help each other. Yeah. Well, I, I know I think- it. Yeah, why not? I think about that too, and I, I think this applies to you as well. Like with contacts, like there are some people who are so hyper protective of their contacts, and and I think that was like an old school business tactic that was taught to people. Like your contacts are your biggest asset, but like no, just like you're saying, you are your biggest asset, and being generous with your time and with your connections gives you, if you believe in the concept of karma, like gives you that business karma, or it's just it just ingratiates people to you. Yeah, we have this teacher from Chicago. Uh, her name is Amber. Okay, I love her. She teaches for us. She's such a dear person. And one of the um, conversations that Amber and I had um, about building her classes, she came from Chicago and she was such a um, big teacher there. And then you come to a new studio in a new community and everybody looks at you like, who, who, and who are you, you know? And I kept saying to her, like, just trust yourself, trust yourself, like step into here. Like citizen is designed for your authenticity. It is not designed for you to be like me. It is not designed for you to be like anybody else on our schedule other than you being educated. You have to be educated and thoughtful and questioned. And so her response to me was, well, I look around and when I see your class is full, that gives me hope that that's my possibility. Mm. And I loved that. Because instead of her saying, well, your classes are full and my mine still aren't, and that defeating her, that actually inflated her because it allowed for her to say, okay, that's the eventual possibility. If I can't see you succeeding in this community, that means there's no succeeding for me out there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that was such a small, I mean, it was on a walk during the summer that she said that. And I remember that because it was so thoughtful. So for all of those business owners out there that, you know, have quite a bit to offer, offer it for those that have a lot to learn, try not to be envious or jealous because we all have our same problems, different version, you know, in our, (laughs) uh, reach out to those business owners, reach out to those mentors, offer things freely. I, I think that's a really important part of being a mentor. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you brought up the pandemic a little bit here and how you, you built your pillow um, pre-pandemic. <laughs> how how sort of, how'd you get through it? How, how did you, obviously you went online and you had to change some things, but how was your community kind of there for you and for each other um, during the pandemic? Hmm, ooh. Pandemic was bananas. We went from not knowing anything about online to being fully online four days after we shut down. We ran about 14 to 17 classes a day online during the pandemic. Uh We manually sent out Zoom links because who knew what FitGrid was? And if you don't know what FitGrid is and you run a lot, though they did raise their prices. So anybody from FitGrid, if you're listening, that was not (laughs) that nice um, to do to small business owners. (laughs) Um, But it's a, it was a wild ride. And I think this is where culture and community you needed it. If you didn't have it, it exposed your weakness. Everything about the pandemic exposed your weakness. So what was exposed for you? That is a really hard thing to take a look at. For me, it was my own ignorance around what it means to be a white woman in the yoga community and what obligation I actually had to do my own personal investigation around race, ethnicity, and gender in the yoga industry as a leader. Mm -hmm. That was my biggest weakness, my biggest lesson. Um, I still constantly am um, working on it and I have a book recommendation. Maybe that'll be my next book I send to you um, (laughs) on it. So that was, that was the beginning. And then as the pandemic kept going, there are two things that I will say, if you are a person that used to go in person to class or in studio to class, go back. Mm-hmm. That's you have forgotten the power of human connection, and not because it's your fault, but because you haven't had that kind of contact in a long time. 
it's so important for, it's not just for my business. You could be online with me for the rest of your life. I'm still teaching online. Um, but it also made me really work. Let me, let me try to frame this. What was sad to me about the pandemic? One is that we lost a lot of students, even till this day, that were very important to me that haven't come back to the studio. And I think of those people a lot. And that's not because they don't love citizen. It's because you got out of the habit of going to yoga. And I miss them, even though we still have a large community. So that was one thing that if I had to say what made me sad, that. And the second thing is that our whole world has chosen convenience over community. And one, the only reason community exists is when you are willing to be a servant leader, when you are willing to inconvenience yourself to a degree to, to meet people and see people. I would say that those were my two hardest because those both came with a lot of trial and a lot of um, challenges even to this day. I, it sounds like honestly, those two things get back to your why as well, because it's sort of like the reason why you started the studio was to help people with human connection. Um, and, and the hard things we go through in life and then cut to the pandemic, which literally took away our, our, the, the closeness, we called it social distancing and we lost our closeness, our proximity to other humans um, so the pandemic sort of, I'm sure made it glaringly clear, like why you exist too. Um, yes. but also yes. I'm sure gave you more, more reason to help people with mental health as well. Yes. I also, it was very clarifying as to what I was capable of. And that's when I decided to close my Cleveland studio. I also got pregnant, mm-hmm. um, which was a plan. It, it was a plan and not a plan. I'm 38. I never really wanted to have babies. I love working more than anything. I love my job. And I knew once I got pregnant that it would not be possible for me to travel for work in the same way. And at the same time, I think what the pandemic made me realize is that at that moment, I was just limited. I always felt like a superhero. Like I felt like you give it to me and I can take it on. And I think my own personal processing of the pandemic is that it traumatized my hope. It traumatized my idealism. And I lost that. And that, I think, was so personally difficult for me in the pandemic that I used to believe that no matter what, I believed in the good of the people. I believed in myself so much. And the pandemic shook that from me. And I, this has been a recovering of that hope and that idealism. And I needed to shrink physically in my business, but also shrink my attention back to what was most important to me. And, and truly, my Michigan studios, they are just a culmination of my love and soul. And and, and it sounds like, um, I mean, this conversation is great because we were literally going to get to parenthood next. (laughs) (laughs) This is perfect. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it it sounds like as as you talk about sort of adding parent to your list of of slashes, it helped you see the world and citizen differently. Would you say you agree with that? Parenthood? (laughs) Yeah. I will say that having Penelope surprised me immensely in that I love it so much more than I ever expected. And that is crazy. Like how much I love her infancy. You know, there's so much mom life crap that goes on. There's so much like you will love her when she's six weeks old because then she'll smile. And you know what? Maybe that's true for each person. That's fine. But how often we share the dark side of an experience. And I know that parents will say, oh, but everybody has always shared how great parenthood is. Well, I'm a living, I'm living proof that 
that is the opposite. I only have heard negative things about being a parent. And then I became her mother and it was profound. And by no means am I saying that I haven't struggled. I would say that this is the hardest month of being in the role of mother to her um, and more about my own person versus my role as to her. It's more about who am I, how much do I want to work? How do I bring my worlds back together? Cause it's a paradox. I want to work, but yet I want to be a mother and they work against each other all day long. So parenthood is amazing. And, and coming to what my next sort of venture is, which we'll talk a little bit about, I thought, well, how do I extend this new part of me into a working world? Because I love to create and I love to impact business. It's, it's really interesting. And I'm, I so appreciate you being honest about your journey. One, to getting pregnant because I, I'm in a, I'm 36. I'll be 37 soon. I'm don't have kids at this time. Like, I don't know if I ever will. I'm, I'm sort I would say like, I'm a step behind you where I'm like, I don't think this is my path, but then every once in a while, I'm like, maybe it's the path. <laughs> Who knows? Well, I can tell you that I would have been happy without babies too. So yeah. I don't think anybody, sh- sh- I don't think you have to have babies like to be yeah. a happy, fulfilled person it was in my contract in not literally in my contract in my marriage. It was a conscious decision. When Adam and I got back together, we, I knew he wanted babies. So I understood his need for family. So that was, if I'm going to be with him and I'm going to be his partner, that's a decision that I had to make way before getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Now, trying to get pregnant, we can have a whole other podcast about the importance of, you know, things to test and, you know, what it's like and how unsexy it is, but that's for another day. (laughs) That's a a personal call we could have. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We have a whole series on trying to conceive actually that we did this year, (laughs) deep dive into the podcast. And now let's hear from a community member who loves citizen yoga. Hi, my name is Samantha Foon and I've been practicing at citizen yoga Bloomfield for the past two years. Uh, the community is amazing. I started going to citizen during the pandemic for rooftop classes, which was such a great way to break up the day and be able to focus on myself. And what I found was, such a special group of people. Um, Not only the teachers, but all of the other yogis that surround me while I'm there. I've made a ton of friends and I've actually reconnected with a lot of people from my life um, over time. Casey and all the teachers are so knowledgeable. They make everybody feel comfortable and everyone knows your name after day one. So it's a really, really special place. And I encourage everyone in the area to come check out a class of citizens. There's three studios. So no matter where you are in the Metro Detroit area, uh, there's somewhere for you to go. I hope to meet you soon. And back to the episode. Okay, so um, let's get into your next venture or your concurrent venture um, that sort of motherhood opened you up to. Um, you're building right now the fourth try sanctuary. Um, tell us what's going into this space and what it means to other parents and also just kind of your own insights into why you wanted to build it. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So we, there are two other people, um, Obviously, I love community more than anything in the whole world. And I think of community as a verb, not a noun. So I think I want a community for the rest of my life. Not commute. (laughs) I want a community for the rest of my life. So when I was pregnant, um, she's actually my hairstylist, had this idea of the fourth try. I heard it and I had the same feeling that I did when I heard about citizen yoga. Just like, oh, duh. Like this is this has to exist. So the fourth try is really a, it's a physical space that is for postpartum women one week to 12 weeks or 13 weeks to come however often you would like half day, full day. 
to support all of your needs as a postpartum woman. So yoga is about coherence. Everything postpartum is in, in a state of incoherence in the world. Where's your lactation person? Don't worry. She's just coming around the corner in some random car that you had some random friend text you her number. And then she walks in and you're like, okay, who are you lady? And then she's grabbing your boob, you know, and you're like, okay, hold the baby and dry it like this. And you're crying because your hormones are out of your mind and your boob hurts. Okay. That's a lactation consultant. And then <laughs> you don't get to pelvic floor therapy because one, you don't even know you need it because even women with C- who have C-sections need pelvic floor help. But then you have to go for 30 minutes. This is just like real life. Leave your baby, your newborn for 30 minutes, many times per week. That's also expensive. And what go and do pelvic floor exercise. Oh, how important that seems like in the first weeks of having an infant when you're not sleeping. So all of this stuff, mental health is also obviously included. We created a a menu that's Ayurveda inspired. It was uh, created by an Ayurvedic doctor, also a chef that's postpartum, like not get your body back food. Like F, get your body back. Wow, you look so pregnant, beautiful pregnant. And then you have your baby and you feel like a deflated balloon and everybody's like, all right, now hurry up and like get to yoga and start running. You know, like, thank you. So this whole business, we call it a soft landing into motherhood. Um, I want to call it parenthood to be sensitive to those, depending on your, how you identify your gender. But for now it's motherhood and it is a physical space for women, people, birth parents to come and commune, sleep, rest, take a nap, take a shower, have one-on-one support on the floor, have all these um, experts accessible to you. And then on the evenings, this is really important, eventually, I want to do a series on menopause and perimenopause because this is the untouched, untalked about group of people. And guess what? All of us who are 38, 39, what is coming our way? And we have no idea. And postpartum is a healthy postpartum is said to, and again, I don't have a study for this. I know that I talked to many, many doctors, a healthy postpartum helps a healthy uh, menopause. Interesting. And we in the West don't rest. We validate activity. We validate productivity. We validate the getting it back. And really you need to nourish and rest and connect and bond. And I, this is just like my final, like, why am I doing this? Cause I loved postpartum. I loved that time. I had my, my house door and now everybody's different. So please, if you have like actual, you had postpartum psychosis, you had postpartum depression can come at any time. I feel like I'm like hinting at postpartum anxiety right now, for sure. I'm going to go see a therapist soon. Um, But preparedness is really important. And so that's really what this mission is, is to not in Detroit. We're looking at countrywide. We're fundraising right now. Um, We want to franchise this as a business so that women can be taken care of. I love it. Okay. That's like all of my passion in like three minutes. I probably should have paused and like, let you ask me a question. (laughs) No, I, I loved it. And I also, I feel like you lit, you lit up like the way, um, you did when you were explaining, we, we spoke about this for the listener, Casey and I spoke about this the other day, you lit up the same way. It's not like you get excited only like here and there to talk about it. It was just like the same sort of stokedness, stokedness. Sure. I like that. Community. I'm communitying for the rest of my life. You're going to be stoked, it. <laughs> Please don't tell my journalism teachers. I just I won't. The phrase stokedness. Um, yes. So you're opening the space in Michigan pretty soon, right? So our our goal is summer 2023. We have a whole build out to do, and we're yeah we have a team of doctors of mental health professionals of again, a chef. And this hasn't really been done in our country, in other countries like Taiwan, in Israel, um, in 
other, other, there are other countries that do this, but they do it more in a hotel setting. And we really don't want to do it as a hotel. We want to do it as a day so that the other parent, the partner, the non-birthing parent still has time. One of the founders, their wife had a traumatizing C-section, very Mm -hmm. traumatic C-section. And he had to go back to work, which my husband also had to go back to work because we're both entrepreneurs four days after I delivered. And he had to go back four or five days after she delivered. And this is why they are a part of this company. Because if our, our society and our country isn't setting us up for a positive experience in parenthood. So then how are we going to change the narrative? So this company's job is not about just, okay, here's 6,000 square feet here and here's 6,000 square feet here. If you have a community of people really dedicated to supporting you, and then we're working on a give back program. So I would love any um, creative thoughts on a give back program. Um, we, we would change, we're, we're really looking to change the country's narrative and the private sector has to do it often before the public sector, but we are taking HSA payments, but hopefully eventually insurance. And then for the underinsured, again, a give back program, how we run that, that's something we're going to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting uh, to think about too, because when you shared this with me, I was like, oh, so if I had a, a child, like this would be my first stop would travel for fourth trimester care for sure. Um, so you'll, you'll see me at fourth try if, if you'll need it. I mean, that's really the thing. It's like, you don't have a choice. You have to have fourth trimester care. See, this is what you don't know until you know you, you'll be texting your friends at three in the morning. Like, why am I hysterically crying? Oh, that's called the baby blues. What's the baby blues? Why is that different than postpartum depression? Like you're just Googling the shit. Like you don't have to Google it. You know, like I'm tired of Googling and Googling is usually wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And it gives you tons of answers that you don't want. Yeah. So it's not that you don't need postpartum care. We all are going to need it. Not that you were saying this, but I, if you want to breastfeed your baby, if you choose to do that, you're going to have to learn. If you need a formula feed your baby, you're going to have to learn. What does that mean? And how often and how much? And is this okay? How do you swaddle your baby? Maybe your first time mom, like I was. How important is shushing? <laughs> biggest lesson. Shushing is, is it's a magic trick <laughs> and it works. <laughs> There's, um, we, we have friends, my husband and I have friends, lots of friends with kids at this point, but one specific couple I'm thinking of that has this um, gadget called the shusher that they. Oh, I have the shusher. You have the shusher. Recommended. Yeah. Highly recommend. I'll put, I'll link to that in the show notes. Parents probably already all know about it because you probably had it on your baby registry or a friend told you about it. Um, but let's let's talk about how citizen and the fourth trimester overlap. Like, what? How do you see those two concepts living together? Are they very separate forever, or is it just a, a theory thing? Well, well, the way that to me it's mission. So I love Venn diagrams. Okay. So <laughs> citizens on one side and, and fourth tries on the other. That's like the Katona teacher in me. And then the, the middle portion is, um, it's really community as the anecdote to depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's it. And, and I, that's why if you said to me, if, if my business partner had come to me and said, Hey, will you start a virtual community? I'd say, no, thank you. Bye. <laughs> I'm not saying that virtual communities are wrong, I, but that's just not where I'm going to put my effort right now. You're saying, Casey, can you help me build an in-person community for postpartum care? Yes. And, you know, we'll have to do obviously virtual sessions and things like that, but there is this foundation of communing. It's primal. We need this. This is how we built our families. And right now we're trying to raise families in a very competitive, very isolating world. So we actually have a member outfit and that's actually important because we want people to come in, not to look the same, but to take down those like, well, what do you look like now? What does your body look like now? We're all going to look different. We're different bodied. So it's citizen and, and, and fourth try 
community is their bind. It's that thing that pulls them both together. Um, but they're both based for me in mental health. So we have, again, mental health curriculum. And so I teach philosophy at Citizen every other week, 7 a.m. online. You can join. We have people all over the country. And I look at that as that's our therapy. This group of people have been together the whole pandemic. And philosophy to me is just mental health help. It's the way that you process good values. It's the way you process uh, basic psychology through yoga. So the fourth try will hopefully do that um, for, for parents. Give us a chance to succeed, yeah? Yeah. And we kind of talked about this the other day, too, um, when you and I were catching up, Casey, but the idea of, like, dogma versus, like, supporting Mm. one another. And I think that's true in in yoga and in parenting, too, right? Oh, my God. Okay, so a rule that I have is never say never, basically, (laughs) Uh, especially in your teaching and in your parenting, I guess. Um. Making choices and having boundaries, okay, that's that's not dogma, but it can feel like that to those of us that tend to be more codependent, including myself. Um, but as a yoga teacher, it's one of the reasons I don't ascribe to a school. I, I saw the, the limitations, the boundaries, uh, the strain that happens to people when they associate. There's lots of can'ts. So... In parenting, it's sort of the same way. I'm a co-sleeper. I'm not a co-sleeper. I'm an attachment parenting person. I'm not. I use Ferber method. I don't. I do baby led weaning or I, you know, grind my food. Guess what? They're all going to learn. So I think that 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 is one of the most important things that I took away from my growth as a teacher is no dogma. Like be okay being your lone ranger. <laughs> it's really scary to not say I'm a Katona teacher or to not say I'm an Ashtangi because you're held by the school. But now you sort of have to make it on your own and that's okay. So similarly, as a parent, isn't that our lesson is that self-sufficiency, the locus of control is here versus there. And that takes a lot of growth and a lot of courage. But within the community, we can encourage that. And then we're better individuals. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think, ascribing to that sort of belief that you're that you're saying, like not saying never and um, not being so dogmatic, it, it also gives parents the ability to sort of support each other because you're not um, saying like, this is right. And that's wrong. Correct. And yoga teachers, right? So we would talk about yoga, but that's the same thing. Yeah. And I, great. Uh, yeah. You and I could talk forever. Um, and that's yes. the problem for an audio <laughs> medium, <laughs> well, as we, <laughs> but we won't, as we, but we won't, um, as we kind of reach the end of our time though, I, I do want to talk, um, about two things for citizen. One being, um, the big house, um, you do this incredible event. Um, and if you're not a sports person or a college sports person, the university of Michigan stadium is called the big house. You do yoga at the big house in support of big causes. And that came back this year, right? Yes. So yoga, the big house happened this year. It's our fourth year. It's our biggest fundraiser. I think it's actually the biggest yoga, um, class in Michigan for sure. Um, it's a thousand people. We're capped at a thousand. We have a wait list typically. And the reason we do it is suicide prevention. And it is, we talk about suicide prevention openly. Um, this year we, uh, we're fundraising for stand with trans as well, because trans youth are at highest risk for suicide attempts and suicide, um, and suicides. And the other organization was, is called Garrett space. And they also are fundraising to help kids on college campuses uh, to have an in-between between inpatient therapy and one-on-one therapy. Cause sometimes one-on-one therapy isn't enough. So yeah, yoga at the big house is really dedicated to the mission of citizen. It's not just another yoga event. And I wasn't sure post pandemic if it was going to sell out and it did. It's very powerful. And I'm so grateful if you've come to that event, any of the years, um, our mantra is say hello. And so for all of you that are out there listening, 
look up from your phones, wherever you are, (laughs) and find a stranger and say hello to them. It really helps people's mental health. Actually, when I was at Northwestern, I was running where the Baha'i Temple is. I remember this. And um, I was having a really hard morning. I think I was like on my five mile run and some man looked up and said, Hey, good morning. And I was like, okay, I'm not alone out here. And it changed my mood. And I remember that it was like a really cold, you know, those like cold spring mornings in Chicago. It's so cold. And like I, that memory has stayed with me that, you know, it, it seems so simple, but it's very empowering. Yeah. Um, and, and it gives you that, just like the tiniest seed of human connection too, which I love. So as, as we wrap up, what we love to hear from our friends and founders in Studio Fitness is what would, what would you say to someone coming in to Citizen for the very first time? What advice would you give to that human rolling out their mat with you? Uh, turn to the person next to you and say hello <laughs> and introduce yourself by name is actually what I would tell somebody. Um, and then I think that the yoga industry is really intimidating to people. So yoga is not about flexibility and it's not about shapes and it's not about goals. It's about angles and personal reflection. And if you can frame yoga that way, it's such an incredible mental health and physical health tool for everybody. Casey, I could just, I could talk to you forever. We could have the Casey and I could talk to you forever. (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, We'll talk about whatever we care about that week. Um, Thank you so much for joining me on We Got Goals. Thank you so, so, so much. I I love spending time with you. Same Z's. This has been another episode of We Got Goals and a sweatlife.com production and another thing that's better with friends. Thanks to Casey Must for joining me. And you can try Citizen Yoga for yourself online or in Bloomfield, Detroit, or Royal Oak, Michigan. Another big thanks to Ryan Deffitt for editing, Ryan Baruga for video production, and to you, our listeners, for subscribing and listening wherever you get your podcasts.